athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. As always, thank you for tuning in to the Dopey Show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. Hope you're having a wonderful weekend. Listen, the NBA playoffs going so hot and heavy, and quite frankly, this entire NBA season going so hot and heavy that, I mean, it was just going on such a roll that the geniuses at the NBA decided we're going to give three days rest or not going to play games for three days in between games, which makes absolutely no sense. You had the Warriors and the Rockets playing on Wednesday. They're not going to play a game until Sunday. And then the Cavs and the Celtics played on Tuesday. They're not playing a game until Saturday. Um, you know, just trying to kind of stretch this thing out. We, we've talked about this in the past with the NBA, and uh, it seemed like it had subsided at least the last couple of years, but obviously they brought it back. I know it's all about trying to put the games on at the right times. You prefer to have games on Saturday, Sunday, as opposed to a Friday. I get it. A lot of times during the regular season, you'll look at the NBA on Mondays, and a lot it is quite a few teams that are a lot of times, or there are less games, I should say, played on Mondays during the regular season. But this is ridiculous to go three games in between the last game just to kind of stretch it out. It, it, it was interesting because I was uh, when the series began, I was thinking, boy, these series are starting much earlier than they ever have. We should be finished or wrapped up with the NBA Finals by Father's Day, where we've seen in the past couple of years it's been, well, no, that's not true. Two years ago, the NBA, at least you had a game, one of the games between the Cavs and the Warriors was was actually on Father's Day, and then they had some games after that. But it's a situation where the NBA just kind of trying to, 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 to play to – you know, for ratings and kind of dragging it out. And I, I don't know. I think it's I think it could have an effect. Obviously, it can have an effect on the series, maybe more positively. It gives guys an opportunity to rest. I get that. But boy, we had a really good thing going. And then the NBA decided to put it on pause. Nonetheless, we will resume action on Saturday. The Cavaliers and the Celtics. That game gonna take place in Cleveland. It is game three. And wouldn't you know it, the the Celtics up two games to none already. I I did say that I thought that the Celtics would, in fact, win the series. The series is not over because Cleveland is going home. 
They've had some extra days. Typically, they would have played if you play Tuesday, you would have played on Thursday. So they've had they're they're essentially going to have an extra day and then some when you count the time on Saturday leading up to the game to prepare. I think they're going to make some adjustments to the Celtics, and I think ultimately they win game three in Cleveland, and then the series then becomes different. But to this point, the Celtics have definitely dominated that series, so I'm going to have some thoughts, more thoughts on that today here on From the Press Box to Press Rope. Also, Golden State and Houston tied at one game apiece, and, I mean, total domination Total domination by the Rockets on Wednesday. If you look at the box score, every single starter for the Warriors in the plus-minus department had a negative. They were all negative. Even Kevin Durant, who scored 38 points in the game on 13 of 22 shooting. Not a good game. Only two players scoring double figures. Meanwhile, Houston made some adjustments. And you know more importantly, with respect to the Rockets and what a year or what a difference a year makes. They're playing defense. They're letting, I mean, you're, you're not going to be able to stop Durant. I thought it was interesting early on in game two where they put Chris Paul on Durant. And I mean, to me, that just showed, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Chris Paul's a good defender. He's obviously going to, I mean, when you talk about, when you factor in the wingspan of Kevin Durant, the height of Chris Paul. It's like a foot difference between the two. There's nowhere in the world. And even though Chris Chris Paul's got a, you know, he's he's not a small guy. He's a shorter guy. But he's not a small guy. It's just a matchup. This is a bad matchup. I thought it was I thought it was an interesting matchup early on. And by the way, it got Chris Paul in foul trouble early. But essentially, they're letting Kevin Durant score, or at least in that game and stopping everybody else. I think Golden State ultimately, they're still ultimately going to win this series, but anything can happen. You got to go now to Oakland. That atmosphere is crazy in Oakland. So I think ultimately in game three, the Warriors are going to win that game. We're going to talk more about that series also today here on the program. The Hampton Pirates, the football program, more specifically back in the news again as they release their schedule, their football schedule for 2018. And may I say that it is absolutely a pathetic schedule um, for a team that has made a trans is still a division one program, even though they've made the transition to another conference. And I'm going to tell you more. uh, I'm going to talk more about why I think it is in fact a pathetic schedule today on the program, but it's not even about the schedule. It's about the fact that, the the Hampton Hampton and then the football program more specifically is cry is is acting like uh, it is the victim of the circumstance of why the schedule is so bad. It was prefaced prefaced uh, prefaced, I should say, uh, by uh, the president uh, of the university, Dr. Harvey, in the release that I received on on uh, on uh, I think Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever I did receive that release, it was one of the first things that he prefaced. I'll I'll talk more about it, and then also the athletics director made mention of it as well. And so I thought, you know, there's an old saying: when you make your bed, you gotta lie in it. 
And that is what has happened to the Hampton football program. So I'm going to talk more specifically about that um, a little bit later on in the program as well. We're going to take a rewind. Remember last week I was talking about Bill Hayes, the former head football coach at Winston-Salem State and at North Carolina A&T, and then the athletics director at North Carolina Central, Winston-Salem State, and also at Florida A&M, and how he had finally got inducted into the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago, and it was long overdue. Well, we're going to have a listen back today on the program as we were able to catch up with Coach Hayes. Um, It's been about three years or so, maybe four years ago, had a chance as part of our HBCU Legends series. So going to replay that interview with Bill Hayes because, I, I mean, I gave you my thoughts on why I thought he should have been in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. He, he was inducted into the Black College Football Hall of Fame this past February. All of those accolades very well deserved. When he left Winston-Salem State, he was the all-time winningest coach in Winston-Salem State history. He's now second, of course, to his former player, Kermit Blunt. He's still the all-time winningest coach at North Carolina A&T. Um, put a lot of guys in the National Football League. But even more so, from a historical perspective, he laid the groundwork for assistant coaches, black assistant coaches, and then ultimately black head coaches to come into uh, the ACC and and really more so the South, if you really think about it. He's the first assistant coach, black uh, assistant coach um, in the ACC. Um, I would venture to say, I don't know, but I mean, when you look at the, I mean, the, the AC, I would I would argue from a historical perspective that the ACC was probably more progressive than the SEC. And that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, I, you know, you know, I think a lot of times we look at how things are today and they're a lot better than they were. But, boy, I sure wish that things were different back in the day, particularly for black folks and what what. We could have shown the things that we could have done. And, and you know, I look at a lot of the pictures um, uh, from back in the day and some of the basketball pictures and the players that played. And you look at those pictures from the 60s and the coaches that coached and so on and so forth. Not a black person in the bunch. And that really is a shame. So, you know, those are some of the things that while we that things are better than they were. Those are some of the things that we cannot forget about. So when we talk about how somebody was the first black person or the first minority, the first woman, etc., to do A, B, and C, it is very significant. And it was very significant that Bill Hayes was the first black coach in the ACC. And not only that, maybe arguably, and I don't know this for a fact, maybe arguably in the South. And to me, that also puts him over the top for being inducted into these Hall of Fames, for being inducted into the uh, the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, obviously in the Black College Football Hall of Fame. And I think next stop should be the College Football Hall of Fame. With that said, going to have a replay of the interview with Bill Hayes from a couple of years ago. Um, listen, if you're... Uh, the Capitals and the Lightning are tied at two games apiece. I'm a Washingtonian. I'm a proud Washingtonian. I say that a lot here on the program. I remember when the Caps, it was, I remember quite vividly when the Caps 
lost in the Stanley Cup back in 1998 and how the Capitals galvanized that city. And they beat Pittsburgh in the last series, which they got over the hump in that. That was cool. They got out to a great start against Tampa Bay, a two to nothing start. They led the series two to nothing. They come back to Washington and wouldn't you know it, the Capitals have been not so good at home. And now the series is tied two games to two with game five taking place in Tampa. And, uh, the Caps have been much better on the road, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But um, uh, this has is turned out to be a really great series. And, of course, uh, we have listeners in, in Washington that listen to us on WHUR HD2, uh, 96.3 HD2, and those listening to us in Tampa on WURK FM. Uh, kudos to both of those teams and good luck to both of those teams. Thank you. To all of those listening to us on all of our outstanding affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row, those listening to us on Sirius XM, channels 141 and 142, and those listening to us around the world at BoxToRow.com. As always, thank you for making from the press box to press row a part of your day. Again, still to come, I'm going to have some thoughts on the Hampton football program and the release of its schedule. And as you know by now, the Hampton football, well, not just the Hampton football program, but Hampton University Athletics is moving or has moved from the MEAC to the Big South Conference. Uh, I've talked about this extensively. I've written about it extensively, but now it's come back up because to me, Hampton is trying to play the victim as it releases its football schedule and still to come here on the program gonna talk some nba playoffs as well as from the press box to press row rolls on on last week's from the press box to press row with donald ware nba legend penny hardaway well the thing that comes to mind with my time with Shaq in orlando just amazing that's the, that's the word the entire time that I had an opportunity to play with the big fella, uh, it was magical, man. Really, no pun intended. It was just, it was amazing. It was a great run. Everywhere we went, the arenas were packed. Uh, we were both playing at high level from the guard position and from the center position. And uh, it's just unfortunate that we didn't stay together. And that's the only thing that I really, I really uh, regret that we did not all stay together in Orlando. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Row is what we're doing every single weekend. Thank you for making the program a part 
of your day still to come. My thoughts on Hampton releasing its football schedule. And the whole situation has now come back up with Hampton moving from the MEAC to the Big Ten. Not that it's come back up, but the release of the football schedule triggered something in my mind that I got to speak about with respect to Hampton. So I'm going to do that a little bit later on in the program. Also, some NBA talk still to come on the program. We appreciate Stillionaire. Stillionaire followed us last week on the program. He also wrote, first-time listener on Sirius XM 142, good open, but Cavs finished at fourth seed. 76ers were third. Thank you for that, Stillionaire. I couldn't remember the, the, the seeding at the time um, of who finished where, um, but you can be like Stillionaire if you you. You know, you, you, you should follow us on Twitter, as a matter of fact. Also, if you have a comment or what have you as well, hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Our HBCU Legend Series Listen Back. We now go back to an interview, as a matter of fact, we had back in 2013 with Bill Hayes. At the time, he was the AD at Winston-Salem State, former head football coach at A&T, and Winston-Salem State, and had a chance to join us about five years ago here on the program. Doing great, Coach Hayes. And one of the things I didn't mention, I want to start here because in the early 70s, I believe it was 1973, you became the first black coach, assistant coach in the ACC when you became the offensive backs coach at Winston's, or at uh, Wake Forest. Excuse me. What does that mean to you to have been the first uh, black coach, uh, assistant coach in the ACC? At that time, it meant a lot of work. It meant that I was carrying on my shoulders the legacy of uh, a lot of great coaches that had come before me that didn't have the opportunity. And a great man by the name of Chuck Mills gave me the opportunity to to be the first Afro-American to coach in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Actually, I was the first east of Mississippi, and I just had a huge burden on my shoulders that I took very seriously. And so I knew that I had to excel and, and, and raise the bar for all those that were going to come behind me. And, and that's very well said because I think that is lesser known about you. And, and so I, I'm assuming at the time and the climate at the time, uh, you, you're coming uh, more or less off the civil rights movement. And so I'm, I'm sure you were aware of what exactly was, was going on as a younger guy um, at that particular time, you had the awareness of, of, of what was going on and how, how were you able to handle all that? Because that seemed like it, you know, it was a lot of pressure. Well, it was a huge burden uh, because you're right. It was right after the uh, civil rights movement was at its height. Uh, you know, when I was at North Carolina Central, we protested every day from my sophomore year and junior year during the sit-in movements. And lo and behold, and then, of course, when I started coaching, uh, I was one of the ones who the, uh, this, the, uh, the system used to integrate the public schools in Winston-Salem and at North Forsyth High School. And then, lo and behold, I was at Wake Forest a uh, short time after as the first. And actually, it was only about two or three black professors or employees at Wake Forest at the time. Uh, some of the ladies in the cafeteria and some of the housekeepers were minorities, but I was the only, there was about three professionals on the whole campus at that time. So I was very aware of my responsibility 
and 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 all the uh, people's whose shoulders I stood on. That is the voice of William Bill Hayes. He is the athletics director currently at Winston-Salem State as he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And, of course, a stellar career, Coach Hayes, at uh, at Winston-Salem State at North Carolina A&T. Do, do you miss coaching? No, not a bit. <laughs> I don't miss it a bit. I, I just I can't imagine how we did that. I can't imagine all the mornings I'm up at 4.30 going to work and getting home at 12 and 1 o'clock at night so so full of energy and so enthusiastic about what I had to do that uh woke up at five four o'clock four eyes wide open attacked the day never got t- don't ever remember being bored or tired or not having a strong desire to get to work. I don't know how we did it no no question and that's why you were so successful. What did the three c i double a championships and ultimately being the all time winningest coach for a while until of uh, of of course, uh, Coach uh, Kermit Blunt came in and broke that record. But what did that, you know, mean to you when you reflect on that now as the AD? Your time as the head football coach at Winston Salem State. Well, we were breaking ground then. Um, the facilities were subpar. The equipment was subpar. You know, we played a, a, a CIAA schedule was unlike it is today, because at that time, A uh, and T and and, and North Carolina Central, Hampton, Norfolk, and all those schools were our opponents. And today, the CIAA is is not quite like that. The, those schools are now in the MEAC, and the CIAA has a has a different battery of universities. So we played the best, and we excelled against the best. Now we still play good schools. I mean, that's not what I'm trying to say. But uh, at that time, it was probably 15, 16 real top-notch HBCUs in the CIAA. That the voice of William Bill Hayes, the AD at Winston-Salem State, who joins us here on the program. Coach Hayes, uh, again, and I had a chance to to know you, at, of course, at North Carolina A&T, where you are the all-time winningest uh, football coach in history. What comes most to mind when you reflect on your time at North Carolina A&T? Uh, A&T was a beautiful place to work, um, a great university. The thing that comes most to mind is when I was – I just hanging by a thread, and uh, I had an administrator who I thought really wanted me out, and so he set me up. He gave us homecoming. You know, you usually play an opponent that you can beat on homecoming, but I had Florida and him in his in their heyday with Billy Joe for homecoming, and I think that was going to be the the game that was going to decide my fate. And of course, uh, we went out and and drilled Florida and him forty five, <laughs> I think. 45 to 15 uh, in front of that homecoming crowd. And lo and behold, uh, the guy who set me up like that had to eat humble pie because we were not going to be denied. And so that probably stands out as as my most, uh, as the thing that's in my heart and mind that that meant the most to me. Sure. Now, was that the 99 year? You know what? I can't remember the years. All I can do is see faces, all those faces that I coached. You know, great guys, hard workers, and so my life is filled with faces, <laughs> faces from a distance that I see of those guys who helped me and who coached with me and who played for me and who we taught together. And so a lot of times I get confused between where I coached them at. Did I coach them in high school? Did I coach them at Wake Forest? Did I coach them at Winston-Salem State? Did I coach them at A&T? Did I work with them at Central or Florida? And then when I see the faces, they all jumble up together in a mass. 
if you can imagine that. Right. No, no but one. I touched, uh-huh. We all touched each other in, in in a stupid way, and and so it really doesn't matter what we what we 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 touched each other. Is that the fact is that we did. You've done some remarkable things at Winston-Salem State, some remarkable things prior to that at Florida A&M, some even more remarkable things at North Carolina Central. And kind of knowing you, you've always had this super mind when it came to fundraising, even as a head coach. Did you always want to be an athletics director or in athletics administration? The amazing thing about it was after 40 years, I looked back at my high school yearbook, and lo and behold, I listed as my lifetime profession an athletics director. Because along the way, I forgot about that when I got into coaching. But I always had to direct my own program. I always had to do for myself. Uh, you know, a lot of coaches uh, uh, don't really want to build a program. They want the program to build them. I always had to build my own program, uh, paint my own fields, cut the grass, mark the lines, recruit the kids myself, get in the car and drive all night and half a day to try to go and visit some kid at home. So I had to do so much hands-on until when I became an athletic director, it was just natural for me to, to be a coach's type athletic director. I never wanted my coaches on my staff at Central, FAMU, and now at Winston-Salem State to have to go through what I went through, the toll and the stress and the strain that I went through trying to make a program, make something out of nothing. And for a long time, always trying to make something out of nothing. So my attitude is get in there and help, get in there and make it easier for my coaches, uh, give them the things that, that normally they would not have, uh, be a shoulder for them to lean on when they need help. And so that's what I've tried to do. And lastly, Coach Hayes, and I mean, you have so many accomplishments, man. We could talk for an hour, uh, but I'm, I'm going to get you out of here on this one with all of the accomplishments. I mean, there is such a, a vast list of accomplishments, things you've been able to achieve. What stands out most in terms of all of the accomplishments you've had over your stellar career? Well, I, I, I couldn't just name one. I don't think um, uh, just 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 being there for those kids all those years, and, and when you when you when you're somewhere at a shopping center or at a ball game, and some guy walks up to you with his family, and you reflect back on when he walked in the door as a little kid at sixteen, at seventeen, eighteen years old, and you and you start molding, you start shaping his life. You're trying to start trying to teach him strength and values and the things that it was going to, it's going to take to be successful. And lo and behold, this young guy comes back with two or three kids and a wife and, and, and puts his arms around you and thanks you for, for what you, what you did for him and what you tried to do to help him develop. That stands most in my life. Former Winston-Salem State and A&T head football coach Bill Hayes. Up next, talking Hampton. All right, want to talk about the Hampton University athletics situation here on the program. And, of course, uh, Hampton released its football schedule on Wednesday, which is late in the season. Typically, a lot of schools start releasing their schedules as late as uh, or as early as maybe late January. Typically, you'll already have a schedule, at least conference schedule, uh, put in place and then some out-of-conference games put in place a lot of most times years in advance but the uh, Pirates releasing their schedule 
on Wednesday. I want to let, let me just reset and refresh your memory with respect to where we are with Hampton University. Back in November, Hampton announced that it was going to leave the MEAC after the 2017-2018 season. This was, you know, towards the latter, the football season was still going on to join the Big South Conference. They uh, hadn't uh, gone through the prop. Man, they may have notified the MEAC of their intent, but what they were supposed to have done if they wanted to make it official for the 2018-2019 season, they had to have filed by June 30th of 2017, something like that. They didn't do that again. They waited. So you got July, August, September, October, five months to notify the conference that they were making the move. And the conference at first did not respond. Um, ultimately did respond uh, early, maybe a couple of months ago. And in effect to say, um, you know, it, it, this is not typically how things are done. And, and actually they did. They did respond after that to say, OK, this is not how things are done. Typically you do A, B and C. You have by June 30th. These are the bylaws, yada, yada, yada. That's what the MEAC came out with a statement. And then ultimately a couple of months ago, both sides came to an amicable, quote unquote, amicable agreement that. Not that the Hampton necessarily had the MEAC's blessing, not that Hampton needed the MEAC's blessing, but the fact that they came to an amicable, amicable agreement, which meant it's always about the money, which meant that the two sides settled on what Hampton needed to pay the MEAC to leave the MEAC to come to the Big South. It happens all of the time. Obviously, here it's on a smaller level. It's not. On the, the, the level of, for instance, a Maryland leaving the ACC to go to the Big Ten and there was a $50 million fine, if you will, that uh, that Maryland had to pay. Whether they paid the whole $50 million or it was reduced, I'm not, I don't remember what happened there, but it, but it obviously is not that much. I think it may have been something around $250,000, whatever it uh, was. So that's sort of the backdrop. And now Hampton is officially out of the MEAC and officially is a member of the big South conference. We can argue, and I may speak more about that. And you're, I mean, I I invite you to log onto our website at boxerow.com. I wrote extensively about this situation we can argue whether it was the right move for Hampton some people will say well Hampton's why would you leave the MEAC as a as a historically black college and university to go to a non-HBCU conference Um, I made the argument of and and again it's not so much about that because again the argument that I made was that the Hamptons history is not in the MEAC. Yes, they've had success in the MEAC. They've won. They they came in really like gangbusters in the MEAC in football. They've won multiple championships in men's basketball. If you look at 2001 when they uh, when they won the championship and then they upset uh, Iowa, either Iowa, Iowa State, can't remember. Uh, in, in the first round, they've won numerous um, MEAC tournament championships the last couple of years. They they one time won three or four straight women's championships. I mean, they've had a lot of success in athletics in the MEAC. That 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 wasn't, you know, but still 
their history is not with their with the MEAC. Their history is with the CIAA as one of the founding members. That's not really the 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 argument. I mean, you could argue all day whether Hampton should have left the conference, why they left the conference. You know, that's open to conjecture. You can read my thoughts at BoxToRow.com. What I want to talk about is the fact that Hampton released its football schedule on Wednesday and then tried to play the victim, tried to play the victim role in releasing its schedule. So, uh, in essence, the press release starts out Hampton University Director of Athletics Eugene Marshall Jr. and head football coach Robert Prunty announced the 2018 football schedule this afternoon. It says Hampton will have an 11-game non-conference schedule with six home dates and five matchups with historically black colleges and universities. Right there, to me, that shows, that statement right there, the last part of that sentence which says, with an and five matchups with historically black colleges and universities shows to me that um, Hampton is very much aware that not not only people in the HBCU realm are are, are sort of calling Hampton traitors in a respect. I'm not saying they use the word traitors, but they're saying you left us as an HBCU to join a non-HBCU. But I'm sure a lot of Hampton alums are saying, particularly the older alums, are saying the same thing. So they wanted to quantify that by saying, and five matchups with historically black colleges and universities. Hampton feels uh, some type of way about the fact, I think, that it left, it, people perceived it to have left the HBCU realm and to have gone on to a non-HBCU conference. I don't really look at it that way. Hampton is an HBCU. We're going to continue to cover Hampton the same way here on the program that we've always covered Hampton from an HBCU perspective. They're just not going to be in the MEAC. Now, next sentence says, in quotes, Despite opposition from certain quarters, it is with great pleasure that we can announce our 2018 football schedule, said Hampton University President Dr. William R. Harvey. We appreciate the patience of our fans and the assistance of many people to get a schedule for this fall. Well, you know, I said this before that it was going to be uh, early on that it was going to be very difficult for for Hampton to not not I didn't say it was going to be difficult for Hampton to get a schedule. I said the MEAC schools, the schools in the MEAC are not going to cooperate with Hampton. And uh, let let me uh, let me read the schedule and then I'll go back to Dr. Harvey's statement. So here's the schedule. They open up the season and and, and they and, and in this release they went f- so far as to not only release the schedule but to give a little bit of a tidbit about the member it was it is playing for instance they open the season september 1st against shaw university and what uh what they say is the season opener will be at armstrong stadium against ciaa member shaw university the bears are three and seven or were three and seven in 2017 hampton holds a 24 9 to 2 lead in the series having last played in 1978 they they really go through this in breaking down each of the schools um, you know, I, th- I thought that was interesting because to me that by breaking it down from the Shaw perspective, it says that 
we're not only are we playing an HBCU, but we're we're playing an old rival in Shaw from our CIAA days. Part of the problem, Shaw had dropped football back in 1978. So, right, the last time they played would have been 1978. Okay, next game, September 8th at Monmouth. Next game, September 15th, Tennessee State. Next game, September 22nd, Northern Iowa. They made sure to highlight this because Northern Iowa is perennially in the FCS playoffs. Next game, September 29th, Charleston Southern. Uh, the game after that, October 6th against Lane. The next game after that, October 13th at Presbyterian. Uh, they have a bye week, then October 27th, Virginia University of Lynchburg. Who plays VUL? Like, I, Does VUL still have a program? And by the time you play VUL, will they still be playing football? Uh, November 3rd at uh, SUNY or Southern University of New York Maritime. November 10th at Mississippi Valley State. November 17th at St. Andrews, uh, which is a Division II school. So... Basically, you have a Division One program playing. I mean, yeah, you know, no doubt Monmouth is a member of the Big South. Tennessee State, a perennial power. Northern Iowa, great power in the FCS. Charleston Southern, that's a that's good. I mean, they're not a perennial power, but it, but it's but it's but they're a solid program. Then you got Lane, who's not very good. D two Presbyterian. Uh, okay, an FCS program. VUL, that's just that's just bad. I know they want to put the schedule together, but to schedule VUL, uh, yeah, just in its homecoming, I get it. You want to get a win. VUL may not even fit you. I wonder if the powers that be thought about this. Will VUL even have a program the time October 27th comes around? November 3rd, SUNY. Okay, I'm not. I, I, it's Maritime. I, I guess it's FCS. I'm not sure. Mississippi Valley State out of the swag. St. Andrews is Division Two. Not a great schedule at all. But the thing I go back to is despite opposition from certain quarters. To me, that makes a statement of we're the victims here. We're Hampton University. We're the victims. That couldn't be any farther from the truth. Hampton, it's not about, it wasn't about Hampton leaving the conference. Uh, with a lot of people, it was about Hampton. To me, it wasn't about Hampton leaving the conference. There's a lot of things that the MEAC needs to do and the MEAC can improve upon. But the one thing Hampton leaving the conference, what they do lose is the, the right to play in that celebration bowl, to be able to get that money from the celebration bowl and ultimately to play it on ESPN. Only two FCS conferences have a deal with ESPN. Those two conferences are the MEAC and the SWAT and Hampton moved on from that. But it's about playing the victim here. It's the timing in which that's why there was not cooperation from the MEAC or its member institutions. You can't come in November and say we're leaving the conference in about in about six months to join another conference. There are bylaws. There are certain protocols that are in place to prevent these type of things from happening. And that is why there was what uh, Dr. Harvey caused opposition from certain quarters. Yeah, because because you didn't go through the proper protocol. Had they filed by June 30th, it, it, in other words, 
you put the MEAC and its member institutions in a bad situation. Now, they have to scramble to come up to complete a MEAC schedule because the MEAC schedule is an eight-game schedule. If Hampton's on that schedule, well, you lose a game in the MEAC. So now you have to figure all of that out. It takes a lot. Again, some of these games are put together two, three, four years in advance. Hampton knows better than that. And so not to follow the bylaws and to come out and in November say you're leaving the conference in the next athletic season was wrong by Hampton University. And to claim to be a victim in this situation is absolutely wrong. They have every right to leave the conference I, I don't think it's a good move for them to leave the conference, but who am I? That is their decision. They made that decision. We're still going to cover Hampton. We have no dog in the fight. All I'm saying is to try and play the victim when you were the aggressor and did it in a manner that was uh, not by the bylaws of the conference that accepted you some 20 plus years ago was absolutely wrong and, to the, and then to play the victim is even worse your thoughts hit me up via twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w or on facebook b-o-x the number two r-o-w nba talk next it's donald ware from the press box to press row your thoughts on anything that i had to say about hampton and the release of its football schedule and the fact that they've left the MEAC to join the Big South. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Give me your thoughts. Also, follow us while you're there. Also, on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. You know, I want to retract something that I said. I said that I thought, that, that was my initial thought, that when I first saw Hampton's schedule when it came out on Wednesday, I used the word pathetic. It's not a pathetic schedule. That That's not fair because there's a lot of really good, there's some good teams on there. I mean, you know, you look at the, the Monmouth. Monmouth had a really good season last year. They're part of the Big South. You look at, you know, Charleston Southern has had some years here and there. You look at Northern Iowa, who's a perennial FCS power. Um, I just thought that when you make a move like that, your schedule should be much stronger than that. Look at, but also, it's not a pathetic schedule, but at the same time, it's not a great schedule. You look at, there's no money games on that schedule. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of games where the Pirates are going to have to dole money out. VUL comes in, Shaw comes in, St. Andrews comes in. Those are those are two D two schools, and then also a um, a a I don't need, VUL. I don't even think VUL is not even NAIA. It just they're just playing football and, and, and you know it's nothing against VUL and HBCU they brought their football program back in 2011 after however many years it had been away they're trying they're trying to keep that football program it's just that they run into some financial issues which against other teams during the course of a season they've had to cancel games or Teams have had to bust them in or get them to their respected to their respective stadiums. I mean, it's just not a good look, and it's on homecoming. So I'm I'm pretty sure Hampton probably has that taken care of. They're not going to allow that to happen because it's homecoming, and that's when you're going to make a lot of your money during homecoming, especially for Hampton, who quite frankly doesn't get the fan support that it should get. I've been to the game. I'm not saying something that I don't that I haven't seen with my own eyes. I've been 
to Hampton games and they're not they don't get the fan support that the program deserves even in the days when they were winning MEAC championships um, so anyway give me your thoughts on the whole Hampton uh, situation uh, hit me up via Twitter at Boxer Row B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W Facebook B-O-X the number two R-O-W not a pathetic schedule but it's not a good schedule uh, either, especially when you're making a move to a new conference, you want to come in with a bang, with a splash. And and remember, also remember this year that Hampton is unaffiliated with a conference. That is why their schedule is coming out late. It was hard to put a schedule together because it was in in, in the bottom line. It, the bottom line is that it was their own doing. Let's move on. Talk some NBA here on the program. So, you know, my thought coming in, I, I thought that the Celtics would ultimately win the series. I didn't really give it a, you know, they would win it in six games or win it in seven games. I just thought they would win the series. I thought that if they ultimately allowed, and I, you know, that's a strong word, but allowed or let LeBron James do what he does because LeBron James is going to do what he does. He's you're you're going to be hard pressed to try to stop him, particularly um, the Celtics. You you let him do what he does, but you shut down everybody else, and that, um, you know, I think in part is what the Celtics have been able to do to this point. Now in Game Two, remember, even in the third quarter of that game. The Cavaliers had a double-digit lead. I think they had as much as a 12-13 point lead. And the Celtics, behind that home crowd also, able to walk the Cavaliers down. At the end of the day, and even, you know, Kevin Love, I've, I, we've, we've t- I've talked a lot on this program about Kevin Love and, um, you know, the fact that he's disappeared in the NBA Finals. Not so much the playoffs, but the NBA Finals. He's had solid games. Um in the playoffs, even in game two. I mean, he had 18, I'm sorry, he had 22 points on nine of 18 shooting. LeBron James, 42 points. Your number one and number two options have 64 points. I mean, you can even go so far. And and that's why, to me, that's still why the trade, I get it. I get it, Uh, you know. Kyrie Irving, the Cavaliers didn't really have much choice but to trade Kyrie Irving. I mean, Kyrie Irving didn't want to be there. Um, he's he's not playing for Boston now, which he ultimately got traded to Boston for Isaiah Thomas. In just a, it just turned out. I mean, the, the Cavaliers didn't really have much of a choice, and it just turned out to be a great trade for the Celtics, even with Kyrie Irving on the bench. Other guys, as I mentioned last week, just big time chips on their shoulders the Jalen Browns of the world the Terry Rozier's of the world I you know I talked what about three weeks ago about Marcus Smart and how important he was to the Celtics this guy he may be the best player on the team I'm sorry he may be the most valuable player to the Celtics why as I mentioned three weeks ago he handles the ball well he D's up well he distributes the ball well he's not the best jump shooter or the best scorer but he scores and makes jump shots at timely in the at at the most opportune time this guy may be the most valuable player so you got guys that have chips on their shoulders that are coming to play 
that are turning it on, not only against Cleveland, but throughout this playoff. So the problem with Cleveland is I said, okay, stop LeBron James. Everybody else. I mean, I'm sorry. Let LeBron James score or he can not let him score, but you know, he's going to do his thing. Stop everybody else. And the Celtics will win. Well, it is sort of happening that way. I'll give it to Kevin Love that he had the 22 points in the ball game. At the end of the day, however, no defense by the Cavaliers. Nobody else stepped up in the game either. You need that third option to be able to step up. And the Cavaliers do not have that third option. The X factor to me, and I've said it all along, is, excuse me, the play of J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith, in game two, had zero points. Like, look at it. When J.R. Smith is on, for the most part, the Cavaliers succeed. Let's go back to game seven two years ago when the Cavaliers beat the Warriors in the finals. J.R. Smith had a good game. You know, this guy has got to come to play. Some other guys have to step up. Tristan Thompson is a guy, I mean, not from an offensive perspective, but from a more of a defensive perspective as well. He didn't play well. George Hill in the game. George Hill didn't play well. They're getting nothing from Larry Nance. Jeff Green is up and down. He's got to be more consistent as a, um, you know, as a guy that's a veteran in this league. He's got to be more consistent. Kyle Korver has made some shots here and there, but for the most part, Kyle Korver has not been consistent either. Rodney Hood has been non-existent. This is a guy that had, has had play. I mean, this is a guy that was a part of Utah's playoff push last year. Where's he at? So the Cavaliers are, are in trouble, I think, in this series as a whole. I think ultimately what happens in game three on Saturday is that the Cavaliers behind their home crowd and three days rest, three full days rest off Wednesday, off Thursday, off Friday, off most of Saturday. So three and a half days rest um, just turns it up another notch. They've had a time, a a time to make or a chance to make some adjustments. They are going to make those adjustments. Guys are going to step up for this one game. I don't want to look too much beyond this one game, but ultimately I think that um, the Cavaliers are going to win game three on Saturday in Cleveland. In the other series, I mean, I I still ultimately, I I think, and by the way, the Celtics are still going to win the series. Um, I think the series with the Warriors and the Rockets are one to is one and one. The thing about it, sure. The Warriors guy, they they didn't really show up. I mean, they didn't even sh- really didn't even show up um, in Game Two. But the bottom line is, they got what they wanted. They got a split at, at, as the game, or both games were played in Houston. So they got a split. They ultimately got what they wanted. Now the next two games are in Oakland, where that is a very 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 tough place to play. You know, this is a really, really interesting series. And, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, Kevin Durant is going to do what Kevin Durant does. You know, I've called him on this program the best scorer 
in NBA history with the way that he's able to score with his frame, with the ability to be able to dribble the basketball, to be able to pull up on jump shots, to be able to take it to the hole. He reminds me taking to it to the hole like a George Gervin. I mean, this guy is unbelievable and unstoppable. Um, but even with that being said, um, they've got Clay Thompson. They've got Steph Curry. You know, and by the way, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are definitely going to have to step up in games three. I mean, you can't have Clay Thompson going three of 11 and Steph Curry going seven of 19, nor do I think they will. I think they're going to be much more in tune with the game being in Oakland, with the crowd behind them. I, I predict that this is going to be a blowout, I think, in game three. And I know, um, Dan Tony is he came out. I mean, he he was beating his chest a little bit after Houston beat Golden State, beating his chest. A when we play our game, we can play with any. Yeah, okay. Well, we're gonna see what happens when it goes back to Golden State. Um, I still think Houston has to play a whale of a series. They're gonna have to get a lot more from Trevor Ariza, who is a veteran who has won an NBA championship. Remember, Trevor Ariza and was an integral part of the Lakers championship back in 2009. Um, Trevor Ariza is going to have to play um, a lot better. I mean, you can't ask for much more from P.J. Tucker, who is from Raleigh, by the way, in the way that he played. Will he be able to play the same way in game three, especially from a an offensive perspective? We'll see how that plays out. And then, you know, James Harden uh, wasn't spectacular. Uh, neither was Chris Paul, but those guys are definitely going to come to play. I just think that Golden State has much more firepower. They're ultimately going to win the series, and it begins with game three that they're going to win on Sunday in Oakland. Got to get ready to run here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you for joining me on the program. Follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook. Also, hit us up on our website at box to row com and always remember to support those that support you from the press box to press row is presented by dw communications